Good morning. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. It is good to be here to worship with you today. And so if you will, turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are still in the chapter of 9. We are almost done with chapter 9. Just a few more weeks, and we'll be done with 9, moving on to 10. So this week and next week, we'll be finishing up chapter 9. And we'll be in verse 46 today, uh, and doing 46 through 50, or I'm sorry, 46 through 48 today. And we'll be de- uh, finishing up the rest of the chapter next week. So small chunk today, big chunk, Lord willing, next week. And so uh, what we'll be discussing today is a topic that is adored by most. Not really. It's a topic called pride. It is the topic of pride. And it's interesting as we uh, kind of sparse out the text of who is going to teach what from the pulpit You never really know what text you're going to get. And so I feel like God's telling me something. It's like every text I get is about denying yourself, taking up your cross, dealing with pride. This is the text that he's calling me to really dig into, study, and then deliver to you guys to which really don't feel worth doing, worthwhile or worthy of doing. It's a text that has hit me very hard over the last few weeks, uh, as well as the other texts have, about denying self, taking up cross, following him, and now dealing with greatness, and what it means to be great and humble. A challenging text for me. I think it, I think it will be for most of us. In fact, if you hear the topic of pride right now, and, that was the, and as you hear me talking about the, the topic of pride and what we're going to be talking about, and you immediately think, man, I hope someone else is here to hear this, you may have a pride problem. And that's probably most of us as we've heard that. It's like, oh man, that person could hear this. You have a pride problem. If you nudged your husband or your spouse, you have a pride problem. So today we're called to look inward today. We're called to look at our own hearts today. Not anyone else's hearts, not anyone else's actions, not anyone else's thoughts, but your very own. What is God going to reveal to you today about your heart? And so let's pray because nothing any good happens without prayer first. Let's pray and ask God to reveal to us our pride, reveal to us what still lingers inside of our hearts and ask him to remove it as we go to his word this morning. Heavenly Father, what a glorious text, as they all are. You are holy, You are worthy of praise and honor and glory and dominion and power forever. You, O God, are worthy of praise, not us. So God, be praised this morning in our hearts and in our minds as we listen to your word. Remove distractions that would keep our eyes and our minds and our hearts not zeroed in on you and your holiness and your calling as you reveal that through Jesus. May our eyes be set on him this morning and may nothing distract us. Dial us in 
to your word this morning. Bless the ears that hear. Bless the hearts that receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this time you probably should be at uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 46, and we'll read the text, 46 through 48. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, he took a child and stood him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. The main point of today's message, and I believe of this particular text, is that true greatness, true greatness is the willingness to be last. True greatness is the willingness to be last and serve the least. True greatness is the willingness to be last and the willingness to serve the least. If you'll remember from last week, uh, Jesus and a few of his disciples, they had just come down from the mountain. Brian referred to it as a mountaintop experience. They had just come down from the mountain, and they, on this mountain, had witnessed the most glorious event that human eyes have seen outside of a vision, like real, in-your-face beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man revealing himself, face changed, body glowing, it's like lightning. God the Father had shown up and made witness or borne witness of his Son, and he said to listen to him. That was their instructions, to listen to him, to hear what he has to say. And so they come down from this mountain, and upon coming down from this mountain, they find themselves in a situation with a demon-possessed boy and his father, a demon-possessed child. And the text says, the disciples says they could not help this child. They couldn't help the child. They couldn't exercise the demon. They couldn't heal the boy like they thought they could. And the reason why is because... As we remember, they were not looking to Christ. They were not looking to Christ. They were not looking outside of themselves for the power to heal, but rather they were looking within themselves, doing it in their own strength. They had actually begun to believe that this gift that was given to them by Jesus to authenticate the kingdom message that they were preaching, this gift of power to heal was coming from within them. So it didn't work. Right? They were not looking to the grace of God to heal this boy through them, but rather they were looking to show themselves great, show themselves powerful, show themselves mighty, which of course ended miserably. It ended with failure, which I'm sure was quite embarrassing for them. Probably got their heart racing a little bit, right? We've been there. Try to do something that we think we know how to do. It flops and people are watching and you're like, that's probably what they were going through. What happened is they become filled with pride. They'd become filled with pride and Jesus called them an unbelieving and perverse generation. What words to hear from your Savior. You're an unbelieving and perverse generation. And as Brian pointed out last week, this unbelief, this distrust in God, this unwillingness to believe God is the root or the very core of sin. 
It is the very heart of sin is unbelief. All sin finds itself in distrust of God. It is what it means to sin. It is to disbelieve God. And so in our text today, what we're going to see, I believe, is that the root of unbelief is pride. At the root of unbelief is pride. And the reason is because belief is not neutral. Belief is not neutral. And what that means is, is that to disbelieve in God is to believe in someone. You can't disbelieve in God and not believe in self. And that's exactly what is happening. When you disbelieve God, you are believing in self, which is pride. Pride is what it means to be fallen. It's what it means to be a fallen person. The creature that elevates itself at the center of all existence has what they've done. They've distorted the creative order. We flipped it. We flipped it. We flipped the switch on what God intended for creation to be. We've got it backwards or distorted or perverse. What happens is we elevate ourselves above all things, and in doing so, elevate the creation above the creator. That's pride. God created the world to put on display his glory. He created all of the world to put on display his glory and his majesty. And our part in this creative order is to be worshipers of him, to exalt him, to lift God up as glorious as he is, to marvel at his glory, not our own. You see, when we begin to see with a distorted view of creation, when we begin to pervert the created order, and see ourselves as greater than we are, then immediately God becomes lesser than he is in our eyes. He becomes lesser than he is in our eyes, and his ways, and his word, and his thoughts all become lesser. And then inversely, our ways, our thoughts, they become greater. They become greater. Pride seeks to remove God from the throne, seeks to remove God from the throne, and put ourselves where he rightfully belongs. Pride is heinous. It's high treason. This is belief in self and inversely unbelief in God, which is the essence and the producer of all sin. It is the essence of sin and the producer of all sin. It is the fallen heart of man that loves self. It's the fallen heart of man that loves self. Seek self, promote self, is interested only in self, personal comforts, personal successes, self-exaltation, the desire to see ourself as righteous or good on our own, which is self-righteousness, and doing only what is right in his or her own eyes. Stop thinking about someone else right now. You're tempted. Look inward. Look inward. Pride hates being lowly and last. Pride hates being lowly and last. It hates being meek. Pride hates being humbled. It hates being lesser than others. Second place, third place, forget it. Last place, forget it. It loves self. Pride is our greatest internal enemy. And the scriptures say that God hates pride. The scriptures tell us that God hates it. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I 
hate, God says. I hate pride, he says. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And the first one mentioned is haughty eyes. Eyes that see ourselves as lofted or lifted up. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Isaiah 9.2, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted or self-exalted, and it says they will be humbled. He's very serious about pride. He's very serious about pride, but he, as James 4.6 says, he gives more grace. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. The God of all the universe is absolutely against all forms of pride. All forms of pride and self-worship. And this is exactly what we find our beloved disciples doing here in verse 46. Okay, verse 46, it says again, an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. So here we have the disciples. We have the disciples and the 12. It says they're arguing with one another. They're arguing and they're bickering with one another. Mark says that they're on the road, on the way to Capernaum. So they're they're traveling when this debate is going on. And that's exactly what this word arguing means. It means debating or reasoning with one another. So they're actually giving reasons or debating with one another as to why they think they're better than the other person. They're bickering with one another. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. Why? Because of this, 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 and this. The gospel writers, it's interesting to me, the gospel writers all seem to want to highlight or shed a light on the distinction between all the things that Jesus is continuously saying to these disciples and the disconnect to what they actually hear. Jesus just told, or the Father just told them to listen to him, and they're not hearing him. They're not listening. All right? Just a few weeks ago, Jesus said, I am going to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to follow me in death, in self-denial and in death. And then in a verse just before this one, what did he say? Except he said, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But it says they did not understand He said it very emphatically. Let this sink in. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to Calvary. You see, you love to see my power and healing. You love to see the great things I do in exercising demons. And you think that is great. But I'm going to tell you what's really great. The greatest thing that I will do is my mission. It's my service to you. It's my going to my lowest point. Do you understand that my greatest act as a human will not be my miracles, but my sacrifice? That will be my greatest act. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Don't marvel. Don't marvel at that I remove demons. Marvel that I go to the cross for you. For you. These disciples and us, if we're honest, we've distorted the view of greatness. We have a very distorted view of greatness. The 12 here are arguing over who is the VIP among them. Who's the VIP? 
Who's the most deserving of praise? Who will be the most favored in the kingdom? Leads me to our first point. That distorted greatness elevates man. Distorted greatness elevates man and seeks man's praise. Greatness, according to man, means to be served. Or wanting to be in a position to be served. It means being praised, being honored, and so on and so on. It's all about how other people see you. It's all about how other people see you. And honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, the flesh wants others to see us as better than others. I want you to see me as better than you. And probably vice versa, if we're honest. In certain aspects, better mom, better dad, better teacher, better family, better rules, better church. Keeps going. The heart of the human The heart of the human or or fleshly, worldly greatness is about being better than others and wanting other people to know it and recognize it. Right? People really need to recognize how much I do. They need to recognize how much I do, how great I am, how good I am, how important I am, and all because of all that I do or all that I've done or all all of my talents, I deserve to be honored by everyone who can't do what I do or isn't willing to do what I do. Am I exaggerating? Stop thinking of someone else. Think about yourself, because I know my heart. I know my tendencies here. I know my tendencies to seek praise and be honored. I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm alone. What, what is your heart's response? Listen to this. What is your heart's response when people give praise to someone else? Or when people don't praise you for something you did or do every day. What's your heart's response? What what are you demanding in that moment that you must have? Why do they get the thank you? I do that all the time. Ever happened in your heart? Look at what happens in your heart when you are cut off on the road. Or someone tries to parent your child. Or someone doesn't appreciate a gift. Or someone doesn't show appreciation to you or say something, or someone says something you disagree with. Mm. Or someone continues to take and take and take and take and not give back. What goes on in your heart? Pride. Pride. The list goes on and on and on to which a proud heart is always responding, don't you see my worth? Don't you know my worth? I deserve a thank you some appreciation, some recognition. I mean, I deserve to drive with everyone knowing my worth. If they knew my worth, they wouldn't cut me off or make me late. If people understood my worth, I'd get a lot more recognition for the work I do around my house, my business, my church. My family would just sing my praises when I come home from work. Thanks, Dad, for the hard work you did today. Here's a drink. (laughs) am i right fellas how dare you ask me to do more when i get home it would help if we remembered it would help if we remembered that anything you have ever done of any good or of any eternal value is a gift 
Anything you have ever done that has ever been any good or of any eternal value is purely a gift from God. It would help if you remembered that. If you look at these disciples and what they were gifted with, think about this for a second. They were, they were fishermen and tax collectors yesterday. Today, they're healing diseases and casting out demons. And because of this gift, they've perverted it into being something they did. As if something they accomplished. As if it was a power they possessed in and of themselves. And they begin to brag about it. As Brian said last week, we can do nothing of any good without God's grace. We can do nothing of any real good without the grace of God. In fact, every gift we have, every talent we have, every act of obedience, or anything we do of any eternal value, hear me, it only all points to God's grace in your life, period. Do you believe that, or do you want to take credit for it? You want to take credit for it. It's all from Him. It's not within you. It's not within me. So why in the world would we boast? Why in the world would we boast? Or why in the world would we seek human praise and honor? As if we did anything. It's all from him. Why would we ever feel that we are better than anyone else? Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 4 where Paul said, What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And you say, Matt, I don't really feel like I'm better than anyone else. I would never say I'm better than anyone else. Okay? How often do you use the words, I would never? See somebody do something, you say, I would never do that. Or, how dare they? How dare they? Or how could they? How often do you see others as messing up? How often do you see everyone else's faults? How quick are you to shake your head at the actions of others or judge somebody's heart and motives? How quick are you to snap judgments like that? How quick are you to see or just assume wrong in things people do or say? Or... On the flip of that, how quick are you to bestow grace, benefit of the doubt, instead of judgment? How quick are you to see, this is important, how quick are you to see that even if you see the worst in somebody, that apart from God's grace, you would be no different? How quick are you to see that? It is clear to me that the greatest mark of our sanctification, the greatest mark of our growing in holiness, is a growth in humility. The greatest mark of our sanctification and our growing in holiness is our growing in humility. And so that's the question is, are you growing in humility? Because as you get to know God's word more and as you get to know God more, if that means you're increasing in pride and that knowledge is puffing you up, you are not growing in holiness. You're going backwards. To get to know God more is not to grow in pride. That would be illogical illogical. I want you to think back to your conversion. For those of you who are in Christ this morning, you've been converted. I want you to think back to your conversion where your pride took a major death blow. Do you remember it? Do you remember it? You were humbled by the holiness of God. 
You looked to God and you saw his glory and you could, could fathom no pride in you. You were completely and utterly humbled in that moment by your sin, by the depths of your sin. You were completely contrary to holy. You saw holiness for real and you were contrary to it. And you saw only one hope, namely Jesus Christ. And in that hope, you let go of your sin. You let go of your self-righteousness. And you stepped off the throne at that moment. And you fell at the mercy of God, found only in Jesus Christ. Do you remember? Do you remember that moment when pride took a massive death blow in your life? Now, somewhere along the way, our pride wants to find its way back in. At justification, at justification, your pride was killed but somehow it seems to still be moving around and sanctification is the continual death blows to pride sanctification is the continuous growing in humility and continuously looking at your pride and killing it somewhere along the way our pride wants to find its way back in but we must remember we must remember that apart from God's grace in your life and mine, we would be no different than the most depraved person in the world. And if you disagree with me, you're still clinging to your goodness. You have no concept of your depravity. There's still something in you that clings to, I know I'm good, I'm good. You're not. Not apart from him. Not apart from Christ. We're not. I'm not. You're not. So we should never look down on anyone or put ourselves up above anyone, ever. We were the lowly. We were the lowly, the sinner, the broken. We were the beggars. We were the hopeless. Christ came down and rescued us. You remember? Man, how easily pride can slip in even unnoticed, and it elevates us to thinking we're more than we are. And look what happens. Verse 46, they're, they're, they're moved to arguing. When you elevate yourself, schisms happen, arguments happen, division happens. They're not acting like friends and family. They're acting like enemies, trying to elevate themselves above one another. This is what it looks like. When pride slips in. And so we see in verse 47 that Jesus sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to teach. And it says in verse 47, it says, But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart. And that word thinking is actually arguing. It's the same word. So Jesus, knowing what they were arguing in their heart. And so again, we see that Jesus has a divine knowledge of what is taking place in the heart of man. This knowing is actually not a learned knowledge. It's an intuitive knowledge. It's something that happens inside or inwardly that he just knew being divine. He knows what people think in their heart. And if you'll notice, too, the word heart here uh, in the NASB and in the Greek is singular. It's a singular heart. It's a collective heart. It is the collective heart of man, which is naturally bent to redefine greatness. So he's looking at their 12 collective heart. They are sharing one proud heart right now. In which they want to define greatness and they want to put themselves in the position of honor and a position of praise. And so Jesus, knowing the desires, knowing their desires to be great according to the world, he gives them in us a lesson. 
a lesson in greatness, a lesson in greatness. And he continues in 47, and he says, he took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Point number two, we should pursue greatness. We should pursue greatness according to Jesus. By his definition, Jesus, seeing their desire to be great, you'll notice he does not hinder their, their passion for greatness. He just refocuses it. He redirects it. Their view of greatness had been distorted. It had been perverted. Their view of greatness was still being influenced by their culture of religion and promotion and pecking orders. Right? That was the culture of their, of their religion. It was, it was about promotion and pecking orders. And you'll notice that Jesus doesn't tell them to not seek greatness. He's not saying, you've got it all wrong, guys. See, greatness is bad. Apathy is good. Stop trying to be great. He didn't say that. He's not saying pursue apathy, passiveness. No, he's saying pursue greatness with all your might. Pursue greatness. Greatness according to Jesus. The pursuit of greatness is not the problem. It is man's distorted view of greatness. This is the problem. And Jesus seeks to re-aim their energies and their desires for greatness. True greatness. True greatness. And so what does he do? He takes a child and he sets the child, it says, in the midst of them. Uh, In Mark, it says he puts them in the midst of the group. And so we see this child is small enough, right? He's tall enough to stand, but he's small enough to hold and pick up. Right, so we see that Jesus, he does this. He, he puts the child in their midst, and then it says he holds him. We see the compassion of Christ. We see his love for children. We see his love for the small and the weak. He does not see them the way they do. You see, in a, in a culture of pecking orders, in a culture of pecking orders, children were the lowest. Children were the lowest. They were the absolute lowest rank. Only person lower than a child was probably a criminal. And the reason is because children made the smallest contribution to society. They are fully dependent. They cannot take care of themselves. They have no achievements. They're the weakest and the most vulnerable. In fact, many of them would die very, very young. And so many adults did not feel they were worth investing any time into because of this. In fact, a lot of rabbis wouldn't even teach a child Torah until they hit 12 because they weren't sure if they were going to make it or they didn't think they'd even understand it. It wasn't worth their time to invest any biblical knowledge into a child until they were 12 years old. And in this culture, and quite frankly ours as well, children were of little to no value. So Jesus is presenting this child to the disciples, remember, all of whom are seeking to be the biggest, the strongest, and the highest ranking person. And he's saying to them, you want to be great? Do you want to be great? Do you want to know what true greatness is? Be like this child. Be like this child. Be last. Be last. Don't seek to be first or seek the praise of man. This child got no praise. Be like him. Seek to be the, as the lowest ranking as this child. And if you, 
If you read the first half of verse 48, okay, you just read the first half, which says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And you just stop there. If you just stop there, then it might be a little confusing. You might wonder, what does that mean? So I believe the second half is Jesus defining it. Jesus is interpreting it. He's giving you it. He's saying it again in a different way. So to interpret that, he says, for the one who is the least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 3. This is a parallel text to give us a little more clarity on this text. Matthew 18, 3. Okay. He said, truly I say to you, he says, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And so Jesus is saying here in a parallel passage that unless, unless you are converted, unless you change direction, you move away from the direction you're going, which is towards pride and moving towards and go away from pride and towards humility, self-abasement, viewing yourself as lowly and needy and dependent, then you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven without humility. And he continues and says, and the one who grows in humility and puts pride to death, that person, that person becomes great in the kingdom of heaven. It is that person who becomes great. And he continues, right? And whoever receives or accepts one such child or one humble-minded person, whoever receives that humble-minded person in Jesus' name, then they also receive Jesus and the one who sent him. So point three is that Jesus is sending out children, not kings. Jesus is sending out children, not kings. What I mean by that is that Jesus did not come in glory this time. He did not come in glory this time. He came humble, lowly, and as he was prophesied, as he will enter Jerusalem on a donkey, not a stallion. He came humble and lowly. He came with no form or majesty that anyone would notice him. He came poor, despised, rejected, and he came as a servant. He came as a servant. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Not as a ruler. Not yet. Not yet. Jesus later tells his disciples, he later tells his disciples that as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Hey, are you tracking? He's later in, in, in Matthew 10, 40, and in John 13, 20, he also says that whoever receives the one I send, so I'm sending you as the Father sent me, and whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so Jesus is talking about sending them out. He's talking about sending them out just as he was sent, humble, lowly, as children, dependent, And so as they are received, so he will be received and his father will be received. I'm not sending you out as high-ranking officials. 
as someone worthy to be praised. They're not sending you out as people to be envied by the world. You want to be envied by the world? You have the wrong mission. You have the wrong mission. I'm not sending you out as great according to the world's standards. I'm not, I am sending you out as the Father sent me, humble, lowly. And if they will accept your humble, lowly position, they will accept me. And the one who sent me. Here's what he's saying. Okay? If you want to be great, you want to be truly great, if you want to be like your Savior, do not consider your election as something to be grasped. But empty yourself and take the form of a servant. A servant. Which leads me to point number four. The humble heart is a servant's heart. The humble heart is a servant's heart. Another parallel passage, look at uh, Mark 9.36. Mark 9.36, Jesus here defines what it looks like to be humble or great. He has another definition of what it looks like to be, like we see in verse 48, uh, least. What it looks like to be least. And so sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So to be least is to be a servant. To see yourself as a servant of all. Luke 22, later in this book, he's giving the lesson again, because again, they're, they're, they're arguing again in Luke 22, okay, about the same thing. And he gives them another lesson. He tells them again, the greatest among you, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Not get served, but serves. So if you want to be first or you want to be grace, great, then he must see himself as last of all and a servant of all. Of all. The greatest evidence that you have humbled yourself, the greatest evidence that you have humbled yourself or that you're growing in humility is that you're growing in your desire to serve others. You're growing in your desire to serve others to look to the needs of others, to consider others as more important than yourself, all others showing no partiality, not just the ones that will give back to you, not just the ones that are easy to serve, not just the ones that are lovable, all, all others. This is another reason Jesus shows them a child. This is another reason Jesus shows them a child. Jesus did not come to save the strong, but the weak. The weak, the child, the humble, the lowly. Jesus came to reach the low. A child, as explained earlier, is the greatest, is the greatest example of the lowly, the disenfranchised, the marginalized. And if we are to consider ourselves like Christ and see ourselves as last, then there's no one on this planet that is not worth our time. There's no one on this planet that is beneath our service. No one. So point five is this. How you view the needy is a test of your humility. Are you growing in humility? How do you view the needy? Are children a nuisance to you? Are children a nuisance? Or how about are children an accessory in your life? They just dress you up nicely? They make you look good? 
So you can live out your greatness through them? Are needy people annoying to you? Are needy people annoying to you? Growing in humility means that you will never look at children, the homeless, the hurting, or those who cannot give back to us as a burden or a way to make you look great. They're not a pathway to your greatness, and they're not a speed bump in your greatness. The humble will never see themselves as too important to serve in children's. It's a woman's job. Or that's a job for people with kids. I don't have any kids. I'm not serving there. I don't even like kids. Has that ever been your heart? They will not be too important to work at CVC or sit at the table with or invest time in the broken or the hurting or the, those who need help. The humble invite people to their homes who cannot return the favor. The humble invest in those who cannot invest in them. It is not about you. It's about God. It's about his glory. Maybe you heard my description of children earlier back in biblical times, and your response, your heart response was, oh, man, that's crazy. Oh, how sad. I can't believe they looked at children that way. And the reality is today, children are not seen in a better light. We're not much better today. Children are, of course, needy, right? We get it. They're needy. They're dependent. They interrupt, right? They're, they're messy, loud, stubborn. They, they rarely say thank you. They rarely give credit where credit is due, right? They never learn from their first mistake. I got to keep teaching them the same thing over and over and over and over again, and they require constant attention, and they're usually taking and taking and taking. They never give anything, and of course, the proud heart will disassociate with such a person, the proud heart will disassociate with such a person. If it doesn't match up with my worldview or the way I see life happening for me, if it doesn't benefit my greatness, then quite frankly, I'm just not interested. Stop thinking about someone else. Look inward. Look inward. How does the world today see these children, children specifically? Not made in the image of God. Not made in the image of God, which they are. From the extremes of the murder of over one million preborn every year to the starvation of children and around the world, down to the fact they're just inconvenient in our life here in America. Not worth having. Not worth having, which is the number one reason for abortion and the murder of children in the womb is because of inconvenience. They're not worth the life change it takes or the body change. The cost is too high. I don't have the money. They're too frustrating. I'd have to change my career. I wouldn't be able to travel as much as I want to. Not worth adopting. Not worth fostering. Not worth investing our time in here at church or in our family. Not worth investing our money into. We've not come very far in our humility. The great ones in the kingdom, Jesus is saying, our Savior is saying, our Lord is saying, that the great ones in the kingdom see children and others like them as ministry, as opportunities for greatness. Opportunities for greatness in this life. Yes, 
Moms, dads, children are a precious gift from God. And they are worth every bit of your gospel-centered life to pour into them and pour the gospel into them as your neighbor and your coworker. Every bit. Children are not nuisances, nor are they accessories in your life. They are souls to be shaped. Don't miss that opportunity for greatness to invest. The call is to be humble. The call is to be humble and childlike, and in doing so, receive or minister to one such child. But in Jesus' name. But in Jesus' name, as Jesus did, so should we as his sent servants. This also means, the idea of doing this in Jesus' name, this also means that we're not serving in the name of mercy. We don't serve in the name of mercy. We don't serve in the name of children. We don't serve in the name of poverty, for the sake of the poor. No, we serve in the name of Christ. All things are done for his glory. All things are done for his glory and to be done in his name. The reason is, is because to serve children for the sake of children or to serve the poor for just the sake of the poor would be missing the point. It would be missing the whole point. And the reason is, is because the greatest gift you can give anyone is is by pointing them to God. By pointing them to their Savior, by pointing them to Christ, we serve for His glory. To remove ourselves and put a child at the seat would be a disservice to the child. We remove ourselves, we put God rightfully on the throne where He belongs, and we point our children to Him. We point the poor to Him. We we point the needy to Him. We serve them and we point them to Him. It's the greatest way to serve and in doing so, we give him the praise. We give him the praise, and we demonstrate that our joy is not in the child, not in my service to the child. My joy is not in what I am doing, but it's in him. It's in God. It's in his name being magnified. That's what gives the humble, real joy. fruit of the humble mind puts God at the center, not man. Piper puts it this way, if you receive a child in my name, you receive God. In other words, when I call you to be a servant of all, including children, I'm not calling you to some heroic self-sacrifice, to think much of yourself. I'm calling you to stop chasing the bubbles of man's praise and start pursuing God. When you serve, you are pursuing God, not just the child or just the needy. You are pursuing God. Stop trying to receive praise in the service of men and start receiving God in the service of children. What do you want? Do you want the fleeting praise of mortal men or do you want God? End quote. This is the call. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Kill your pride. See yourself as dependent and needy children. That's the call. And then serve those who are like you, who are just like you, needy and dependent. Don't put yourself above people. Serve people who are like the true you. You are truly needy and dependent. And when you see yourself that way, you'll have no trouble serving others like yourself. 
So today's message is about the pride of man and the call to humility to serve and to be like Christ. But none of us can become more humble on our own. None of us can become more humble by pursuing humility. This is not the call today to pursue humility in your own power. That would be the antithesis to this message. Do not leave here today to say, I've just got to be more humble. I'm going to go be humble. And guess what's going to happen? You won't. You'll do something humble and then you'll be proud of it. Okay? This is not the call today to pursue humility in your own power, but rather the call is to recognize the pride in your heart. To ask God to show you the pride that's in your own heart. To reveal it to you so that you can recognize it and then confess it. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing to confess it and then repent of it. Then repent of it. And in your repentance, remember that Jesus has paid for it. Jesus has paid for it with his blood. He paid the price for your prideful heart. So recognize it today. Confess it. Repent of it. And then put your faith in Jesus Christ. Continue to put your faith in Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can produce humility in you. He's the only one. Do not wait either. Do not wait till you get home Not wait until after lunch or until you put the kids down for their nap. Now is the time for repentance. While it is fresh on your heart, while the Spirit is convicting, now is the time for repentance, and now is the time to look for Christ for forgiveness and mercy and strength to pursue His calling in your life to serve. To serve. So how do you destroy pride? How do you destroy pride and gain humility and therefore greatness? You kill pride by looking to Jesus. You kill pride by looking to Jesus. The very way you were converted to Christ and humbled by your sin is the very way you are sanctified. It's not any different. You were saved by grace through faith and you are sanctified by grace. Through faith in him. It is the root of unbelief that leads to belief in self. If unbelief is belief in self, then look to Christ. Look to Christ and trust not in yourself. Trust not in your mind. Trust not in your emotions. Trust not in your ways. Trust not in your thoughts, your plans, your view of greatness. But look to Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith and sanctified this way as well. He will continue to reveal to us that we are in desperate need of his grace. That's what sanctification is. The reality is is that the more I grow in my knowledge of God, the more I grow in the knowledge of God, the more I grow in the depths of my sin. The more I grow in the knowledge of God, the more I grow in the depths of my sin. And inversely, inversely, the more I know of God, the more I know the depths of my sin, the greater the cross becomes that covers it. Greater the grace of God becomes 
that covers it. As we ponder the holiness and the worth of God, all that's ever left to say is nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. It's only by the work of the Spirit that anyone will grow in humility. And again, the Spirit loves pointing you to Jesus. So look to the worth of Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself. Get to know your Savior and let it reveal to you your true worth in comparison to Him. Let the glory and the holiness and the love of Jesus Christ humble your heart and bring you to true, least of all, servant of all, greatness in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and your word. I pray, God, that each and every one of us in this room sees in this calling your holiness, in this text your holiness, in your servanthood your holiness, your love is holy, your wrath is holy, everything about you is holy and other and different than us. And so when we look to you, God, we see, we see how truly small we are. I pray that that is the truth that is penetrating our hearts this morning. Oh God, let us look. Let us look to you today and let us see our pride. Oh God, we confess. We confess, God, that we are proud people. We love our own ways We love to make ourselves look good. We love to talk about others and their sin, but rarely look at our own. Help us to remember our conversion where all we could see, all we could see is our sin, no one else's. And all we could see is your holiness. And all we could see was Christ and what was offered to us in the cross. Help us to see that every morning, every day. And let that God have an effect on our lives as, as we love and serve others and one another and the least of all in our children. Do this in us, O oh God. We cannot do it apart from you. We are dependent upon you. We can do nothing of our own accord. So send us out, O oh God, as children, needy, dependent. And do, O God, the work in us that gives you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.